0: welcome to the ordinals podcast produced by ord media featuring the top builders projects and investors pioneering bitcoin inscription protocols and the future of digital artifacts mark welcome to the ordinals podcast thanks for having me ragna so great to have you i'm really excited about this one because you are a builder longtime builder in NFT space. Um, You're also a skeptic, you're a smart guy. And so it'll, I think this will be a really interesting conversation uh, from you with your experience, but also with your sharp mind and being able to distinguish what is good, bad, ugly, and everything in between when it comes to ordinals. So for those who don't know you, give us kind of the one to two minute summary of your background, especially relating to NFTs.
1: Yeah, sure. I'd love to go into some details. So um First and foremost, like many people in the space i'm an engineer, so engineer developer a lot of people don't like it developers call themselves engineers um so i've been writing code um since I was a teenager, as most programmers have been self taught college dropout startup founder kind of background um worked for companies as large as like a like an adobe from the start game raised some funding um moved into a data science role. Um, and then eventually like staff, principal engineer, tech lead, on a whole bunch of startups, had some exits, had some failures. Um, and that's this sort of 10 second overview of work history, right? So you can see there's a, there's a pattern there of always being a developer and getting my hands dirty, writing, writing code. And, um, that brings me into my journey in crypto. Um, so I've been involved with Bitcoin since 2012, so quite early, um, I was on a startup accelerator at the time and you can only imagine how exciting bitcoin was back then right um people were trying to think of all of these crazy businesses you could build on bitcoin and this is back when there really wasn't anything um so we're in the we're in a startup loft and people saying, hey you should buy some of this and i'm going to build a music startup selling music for bitcoin and it was as basic as that people could see the value of bitcoin as a payments network and they were like what can we do to build a business that uses this for payments?" so they weren't thinking of like defi and all of this sort of L2 protocol layers. It was just purely how do we change the world by making payments easier. So it was quite exciting, but very raw. And I think I openly put out a little post that it was in 2014. And maybe it was because I was salty after Mt. Gox, so I was part of the whole uh, the, the fiasco there, um, where I said I, I just couldn't see Bitcoin becoming um, a trillion dollar asset. I think I actually said a trillion dollar asset, and I, I just became almost sort of cognitive of how easy it would be to manipulate Bitcoin. Um, the, the, the price action, I, I fundamentally just believed that, you know, traditional banking and finance would just take over and control the market. As soon as it got to maybe a market cap in the billions, to be honest. Um, I had no idea it would get to where we are today. And, you know, companies like BlackRock and, and the likes would be struggling to really control it. And, you know, they're saying, oh we'll we'll put forward our ETF application, but no one really controls the market or or manipulates it in the way that I thought would happen. Um, Because, you know, traditional finance is just ripe with that, right? Um, So I was a bit of a a skeptic. And one of the key things is I was very fortunate. I was head of data science at the time at a a, a company, and this is way back in 2014. I was very fortunate where I could just hold onto my bitcoins. And a lot of people said, how did you have the conviction to hold through all of that skepticism, 2012 to sort of 2021? Um, And it's no magic. It's just I was afforded the luxury of being able to hold. Right. i didn't need to sell them on the way up to better my financial position in my life and that's you know a lot of people say oh i wish i'd have bought it back then well for the most instances if you bought it back then you sold it at a hundred dollars or then a thousand or then two thousand or five thousand it's only select few who just didn't need to sell it or lost their keys that held it all the way through to sort of 69k and i did buy at the peak i'm pretty sure i probably bought the most expensive bitcoins i've actually been bought During peak NFT euphoria, I was like, oh, look, Bitcoin's going to 100K. Um, So I've been involved with crypto for a long, long time. Um, Mostly Bitcoin. I completely faded um, Ethereum and the ICO, even though I was around at the time. Um, Reasons for that, again, I I just didn't think that this distributed world computer um, would take off in the manner that it was proposed by the Ethereum Foundation and the founders. Um, Again, because I was working in web two, um, at a traditional sort of big tech startup. And I was working with some of the largest companies in the world and struggling to sell in data science solutions to them, um, and seeing how much centralized control they wanted over everything to do with their their data stack. And I just didn't see a world where people would pay to use this compute resource. Um, I can certainly see some value. I just thought it was a bit ahead of it, ahead of its time. Um, and then you know, DeFi just completely proved me wrong there. So I faded some big paradigm shifts in in crypto. Um, so I haven't. A lot of people say, "Oh, you t- you tend to ride everything at right now." I've completely got things wrong at certain points. But NFTs, I I, I got involved at the right time. So I founded a company called Arcata, which was a KYC and AML business for um, art businesses. Um, and it solved a, a sort of a, a reg tech problem for those businesses which is okay if i'm um, transacting over a certain amount of money in the eu i need to put all of my customers through kyc so for those who don't know if you go into an art gallery in london and you buy a painting for twenty five thousand euros um you'll have to go through kyc and aml before you even pay for it right so you'll have to give them your passport you'll mm. have to tell them where you live your date of birth um, and you'll have to go through KYC before you're allowed to pay for it so a lot of people don't know that exists and um the EU put that onto art galleries um, and art galleries just aren't set up to do AMN k- KYC. So we created a business that solved that problem for them. And then in 2020, early 2020, we started um, to hear sort of mutters from some of the galleries we are working with, which is what's this digital art NFT stuff that we're hearing from our clients about? So you have to think that the, the collectors that deal with these galleries galleries are, are, are on the cutting edge of, of what's going on in the art world, whether it's digital, physical, they, they want to be capturing every trend and then they, want to, they want to be collecting everything from every valuable artist that's creating pieces. Um, and they would come to us and say, what's this digital art? And mostly, does it fall under the scope of the AML requirements? And no, it doesn't. There's no, there's no clause that this has to go through KYC and so on. And it kind of went quiet. There was a little bit of activity. And then the Beeple sale happened. And that's when things really changed. I think it's when it really changed for the NFT space. So for those who don't know, Beeple sold his, when year his, his, was What year was that? 2021 so it was spring 2021 the the 16 was it 69 million sale i think um it was a, it was around then so spring 2021 um might have been just before spring 2021 um but it was around that time and um everything changed then um there was sort of mainstream media on nfts it was pushed absolutely everywhere everyone wanted to sort of um find the next at the time which was cryptopunks right so they were already quite lofty in their price um, and there wasn't. There was a whole bunch of other projects, and then we know what happened next with Body Yacht Club and the the sort of the celebrity celebrity culture that that captured. Um, and I got involved with a whole bunch of initiatives in the summer of 2021, trying to help um, some of like the, the I guess some of the larger ape whales acquire items from an auction. Basically, they they leaned on on, on myself and Arcata's expertise and said, Hey, how can we buy this this ape auction by pretending to be sort of this DAO vehicle who does the KYC how does it work and it was quite funny chrisys at the time were like we have no idea how to KYC a bunch of random internet people who say they want to put 10 ETH into this into this auction bid um so it didn't go ahead because there was just no infrastructure in place for that to happen um and that's when i was a convert at that point because i was like, i could see the power in the the communities and it it reminded me a lot of um a, a lot of something that i'd experienced not soon before, which was the whole GameStop craze. right? So I, I was very fortunate to be involved with that at its earlier stage. Um, and it was the first time, I think, in my adult life where I felt like I was almost like part of a cult. And it, it just didn't, nothing yeah. mattered for that one week period of my life. Nothing else mattered other than, this, other than this one singular goal, which was we're going to hold our GameStop options as much as possible to inflict as much pain on the traditional finance houses as we possibly can. Um, and I just got so caught up in that moment, as did so many other people and NFTs were the first time I felt that, um, that euphoria and maybe that sort of that chemical reaction in my brain to, to want to stick around some of this stuff. I just thought this is a really exciting place to be the, the sort of the community owned aspect to NFTs is very interesting. And I got together a group of friends. Um, I apologize for how long-winded this is by the way, Ragnar. we got together a group of friends. No, but um, I'm pre- glad
0: you're filling in the backstory. I didn't know any of this. Yeah, I didn't know, yeah, almost, yeah, and not um, know none of this. So keep going. Yeah.
1: We, we got a group of friends together, all successful Web2 builders, um, and uh, a, a great pixel artist who was proven, um, and said, let's build a project, right? So, and this is where it's probably going to get quite interesting. So we said, let's build a project and do it the right way. Uh, we don't need to enrich ourselves from this project. Um, and we were like, well, what does it do? And we're like, well, let's just, deliver some cool art on a chain where it's a little bit different and we feel like we can push forward the innovations on that chain. So we launched our NFT project on Stacks in October 20, on October 26th, 2021. Um, and why Stacks? And this is going to tie nicely. Well, it, it was the only chain at the time where there was any real meaningful tie into Bitcoin. Um, And the thing that caught my eye first and foremost was the clean UX and UI design language from from Stacks. Um, Obviously as a developer, a lot of sort of L2 chains and L1.5s and even L1 chains, you go to the website, you're like, oh my God, docs are horrible. I don't get what this is trying to solve, but we went to the Stacks website and we're like, this just makes sense. There's clearly a very intelligent group of individuals building on this chain, because the way that they're presenting information, their vision, the, the protocol, the consensus, Make makes sense within half an hour of reading the documentation on the website. Um, so we, at that point, we just decided, hey, let's launch it on Stacks. We didn't care for the lack of volume, any of the statistics around activity on the chain. We were just like, we're just going to build on Stacks. Like if it doesn't mint out, then it doesn't mint out. But hey, we've had this really cool experiment. Um, so we we launched on Stacks, and when we launched our NFT project on Stacks, NFTs on Stacks were in, in their infancy. So there were a lot of firsts with Megapont. We worked with some really talented individuals in the ecosystem as well. So we can't take all the credit. Um, Friger is, is someone who helped us out in those early days, uh, a really well-known developer in, in the ecosystem. Um, and he was the individual who proposed to us, hey, why don't you become the first NFT project to have this non-custodial on contract marketplace standard? So um, that's the reason that that exists. So when Megapont launched on Stacks, um, at the time we were the only project that was non-custodial, so what do I mean by this? Um, back then, if you wanted to sell your NFT, um, you had to send it to a custodial contract that would facilitate the buying and the selling and the bids and the asks. Think of what would happen with ordinals if PSBTs weren't a thing, right? What you would have to do is you would have to send it to a custodial wallet where the marketplace would control that and it would facilitate people buying and selling it. Luckily, we have PSBTs. Um so we were the first project to do that and we launched with our own marketplace on day one and mostly a roadmap copied from loosely like the the, the successful ETH project. So no secrets there. What did we do? Well, we looked at what everyone else is doing uh, and said, let's just copy elements from these guys. That makes sense. So we did the whole um, derivative drop a few months later. That was free for holders um, and we just put the community first and everything. Um, we... From day one, we've always been keyed to to say that we don't build for the community; we build with the community. Um, there's been times where we've sort of pushed the boundaries of that for sure, but for the most part, we are in in the trenches with the community every single day, uh, in a way that you don't see it on many other projects. Um, and a, a lot of people attribute that to stacks now, which I think is great. Um, like the stacks NFT projects have, for the most part, founders who are so active within the communities. When you compare it to other chains where they're uh, sort of evangelized a little bit more, um, you go to like a typical hype thief project, and the founder pops in and says hello. It's like a hundred reactions, and people are amazed that they're there. Hmm. But you go to the like, any stacks project, and they're just there, chatting away, having frank conversations with people back and forth. Um, so that's what that's one of the things that we we valued about stacks as well. We could see that in the in the Discord. Um, so that's a nice five minute overview of a whole bunch of stuff. Engineer always been involved with crypto doing a whole bunch of things. And, um, my, my, my closing statement to everyone is just seemingly always lucky. Um, there's a continuous pattern of me hitting these things at the, the right time and the, being in the right place.
0: Yeah. Well, lucky is, is where you have opportunity meets hard work. Um, so you've gotten lucky, but you've worked hard. You've, you've slogged it through since Mount Gox days, Mock, Mount Gox days, excuse me. And so you've. Been, you're a veteran, so you've had your scars, and you've held Bitcoin through that whole time, and that's not easy. And and uh, I really like what you talked about with community. So I want to hit on that because um, you know NFTs, ordinal inscriptions, largely are supposed to be about community because, quite frankly, the art isn't exactly groundbreaking. Like if you could see my in in my office the off the art that I have on my wall or my desktop saver, nothing is before like 1910, mm. and so. Really think the NFTs inscriptions are really about community more so than breakthrough art, although there is art there. So, let me ask you about and we'll we'll jump ahead to inscriptions. A lot to talk about. First, do you see any ordinal inscription collections that have captured or created a community?
1: Um, that's a tough question. We we are we're obviously disregarded from this conversation as our projects like DeGods. I think because we already have a community, right? So we haven't created a community. We've just brought some additional wallets into the community. The best example of it is probably Bitcoin Frogs. Um, so we were around during the Bitcoin Frogs midnight. They, they had that error where uh, they inscribed some frogs without, um, without clothes or something. And it was quite funny at the time. And then they airdropped people the correct NFTs. Um, and I said uh, in the Megapont Discord, when, when the team decided to do that, like they won our respect, And it was clear that they were thinking like us, which is let's build for the community first because they made a mistake and they fixed it on their own back. It was a free mint. And then they decided to reinscribe, you know, correct frogs for everyone in their community at no cost, right? So they clearly put a whole bunch of money down, their own money and capital into the project um, without asking for anything in return from people. Um, So they were the first project that demonstrated that, which is um, we're going to give and not ask um and they 're probably the largest community I think on on ordinals, really. I mean, you have smaller projects, smaller communities, but 10k they 're probably the biggest original ordinal community, and I think you see that when you pop into their discord there's more bitcoin native individuals in there who are ordinal curious, whereas in somewhere like a megapont through megapunks, it's more so just nFT curious people who are still sticking around for ordinals, so there 's a very different community in those two projects
0: so what kind of community is that i mean frogs so being outsider for a second you just heard about ordinals like two minutes ago you got the summary from someone and they told you oh bitcoin frogs that's a community and like what the heck what does frogs have to do with bitcoin what is it about that are these people who own pet frogs like what is it about frogs that has captured or created a community like what is that community that rallies around this kind of silly amphibian
1: yeah i think pepe is a a a big part of that. And um, Matt Fury's journey, so the creator of Pepe, the the, the character everyone knows, it, it, there's a there's a great documentary on Netflix that everyone should watch, um, which was Matt, the creator of Pepe, battling for his creation to not be seen as an alt-right hate symbol. So it was picked up by a whole bunch of groups that Matt essentially said, I don't want my character I've created to symbolize your ideas and your language. It just isn't what I created this character for. Um, and he he essentially won back the goodwill of, oh, this is just a lovable character that stands for internet freedom. And it's the internet's character. And I think that's, that really, um, got picked up by the crypto community, which was like, it's, it's a character that we're all kind of Pepe in a, in a weird way, right? Which is just this silly little internet character having a whole bunch of fun and could be adapted to everything. So anything amphibian and frogs takes off just because of the, the sort of the tie-in with the Pepe character. Um, And Bitcoin Frogs specifically, um, you know, they had their, their Mint was native on Bitcoin. I think you paid the fee with Lightning, perhaps. I could be wrong there, but I'm pretty sure you paid the fee with Lightning. There were no other payment methods. um, And then it went straight to your your wallet at the time. And this is a time where back then, like, Xverse and Hero weren't a thing. A lot of people don't know this. Like, when we launched our collection and when Bitcoin Frogs launched, like, Xverse and Hero didn't exist. Like, these really nice Web3-esque wallets to interact with ordinals weren't a thing. It was, you're using Sparrow, you're, you're locking your UTXO and you're hoping that you don't use another wallet and send it to someone when you try and send Bitcoin to pay your rent. Um, so it was the, the early project. So us, Frogs and anyone else around that time, they have a lot of individuals in the community who um, spent some time researching Bitcoin and getting to, to sort of getting a grasp of the fundamentals of the chain. And Bitcoin Frogs more so than Megapunks, and we'll, we'll come on to this, I think, with Megapunks, because our Mint was set up very differently. So our mint was set up with the goal of we understand that the NFT community probably has no idea how Bitcoin works, um, especially in the in its infancy of ordinals, where like Xverse and Hero weren't really a thing. Getting them to onboard to like a Blue Wallet or a, a Samurai Wallet or a Sparrow, like God, it's 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 not it's not something you can just sit down and do in five minutes. And I think there's that instant gratification that a lot of people in the NFT space seek i think the drop off of say imagine if ordinals you could only collect them stone sparrow or or like a blue wallet or like a a bitcoin native wallet that everyone is used to i think the adoption rate would be so much lower than it is currently because people just wouldn't have the attention or the or the interest in sitting down and and trying to learn the basics and the fundamentals um so they've got a community that did is the the best way so if you want to be close to people who understand bitcoin they're a good candidate and likewise we are and why are we because most of our community is stacks people. They're from stacks, and they go into stacks because of Bitcoin and they've been around for a long time. So we're two very unique communities. Um, D-Gods obviously have the more Solana sort of NFT hype culture community. Um, and there's, there's a whole bunch of other smaller communities as well that might be maybe prohibitively expensive. And we can maybe touch on this because I, I think expensive NFTs um, need to die because I think they're terrible for the space.
0: I like that. Yeah. So I like that um, sincerity of the Bitcoin users with Bitcoin frogs, how they were true. I mean, if you were using Sparrow and you were comfortable mm-hmm. with using Sparrow, you were a Bitcoiner. I mean, Sparrow yeah. is my default wallet. I am not a big mobile guy other than obviously Samurai, but Sparrow is my wallet. And that's, that's what I used in the beginning too. So I didn't know all that about, about Bitcoin Frogs, but that's, I like what you said about that. That is why it is a true community. It's a community of early ordinals people who were actually hardcore Bitcoiners. And Pepe, of course, goes back also to Counterparty, right? I remember when Counterparty launched, I'm sure you did as well, and it was all Pepe stuff. And it was all sort of um, anti-authoritarian, but funny as well. And I really liked, you know, that part of Bitcoin that was fun back with Counterparty was kind of the jokes and the funny art. And I'm, I'm glad to see that coming back. With I,
1: I think so. Counterparty is great. I, I've got some fantastic pieces on Counterparty. I, I really loved the the early mashups of hey, let's take public, um, sort of public domain images uh, or CCO to the the, the the newer crypto generation and put something really fun and Bitcoin native on that traditional artwork. I think those those sort of crossovers are are, are fantastic and really fun. And I liked. I've got a whole bunch of Counterparty NFTs. And someone said to me that might be worth something. I said I, I just don't care. I collected them. Because they're cool, um, and that's why I collected them. I didn't buy them for a speculative nature. I'm always going to hold them because they look really cool in my in my wallet, right? Um, so yeah, it's, it's it is good to see some of that coming over, and w- with recursive inscriptions, you know, we might see more of that as well. So uh, unfortunately, yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Models have just been pixel for so long.
0: Yeah, it's I. I Let's jump into recursive because that is on my list of things I wanted to ask you about. And um, you had a quote. Let me see if I could scroll down to where I have it in my notes here. Um, you talked about recursive inscriptions, and I can't find, find it right now. But what are your opinions on the curse recursive inscriptions? You said something so, about it. You could do that on Ethereum. That, yeah. That's I what mean, the comment was on Twitter. You tweeted something about you could do that on Ethereum, so don't be, I think it You was can Bitcoin already do it. Yeah, don't build up the hype. Like I think... Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. So recursive inscriptions are, are interesting for those who who don't know what they are on when it when it pertains to to ordinals. Um, not not a lot changed, right? So everyone made this big deal when when Casey um, merged the PR for recursive inscriptions, and um, a lot of people picked up on it and said how this is going to change the ordinal ordinal game completely. Now, for engineers, what they actually did when they merged the recursive update was update the CSP headers that the client would permit so it basically said okay before if you linked um another inscription within an inscription it wouldn't render the content and that was for security reasons right so basically that the, the the rule there is what we don't want people doing with ordinals is create an html file that references nefarious javascript somewhere hosted on the internet or or maybe just does something that we really don't want to see so the csp basically said at the client level not even at the Ord protocol level we won't permit links. And the recursive update said, we'll now permit links to other ordinals. So what you can do is you can reference other ordinals within an ordinal. So there's been no upgrade to the protocol in any shape or form. All that simply happened is saying, okay, you can now link another ordinal within an ordinal. So that opened the door for HTML inscriptions, which could link other assets and it could layer JPEGs. And that's why you're seeing some cool stuff uh, with some collections. But there wasn't a protocol upgrade in any shape or form. Um, And when I said that you could do this on a chain, that's that's why. Um, And one of the when I explain this to people, I say, "So what? There's been no upgrade? Well, no. And this is why it lagged on Gamma or Magic Eden and all of these marketplaces, because the client who's showing you your ordinal could have whatever CSP headers they want. So what are we saying now that ordinal theory dictates dictates what clients should do as well? So I think we get into a slippery slope if we try to say that. Um, ordinal theory dictates the the CSP headers and what should render. Like, what if someone merges in and says, "Okay, you can't um, you can't render these inscriptions for whatever reason." Are we going to start adhering to those client rules? So maybe Casey decides that he doesn't like a hundred inscriptions that he's seen because they, you know, defame his character or something. And do we just filter those out? That's not going to happen, especially with his um, his attitude towards censorship and copyright, which I think is really good for ordinal. So that would never happen. But you don't know when custody of ords changes from himself to someone else which could happen um, so there wasn't really any innovation at all um, with recursive inscriptions and i think um the the tendency not this isn't unique to ordinals it's almost universal across all chains when it pertains to nfts there are a lot of people who will jump on top of everything no matter how minute in an attempt to um sell you whatever they're building and Um, further enhance the image of it and call it innovative. And uh, we have a very pragmatic view on this, which is, um, and maybe pricing comes down to this as well. But um, if you explain it to someone in Web2 who is somewhat intelligent and is crypto curious, and it sounds like nonsense to them, then it probably is nonsense in some way. And if you told someone, a Web2 engineer, that we've updated CSP headers on a client, and everyone thinks that this is some revelation and is really innovative they would laugh at you and think you were crazy um but we've got 500 threads on twitter telling us why that this is the most amazing thing that's ever happened um when it's just changing some some client-based headers
0: do you want to name names and name name people and it's, projects a, well, it's almost that everyone have used that's that. the thing
1: it's almost everyone <laughs> Um, it's not unique. It's almost it, it everyone in the Ordinals ecosystem, and I don't call it bug bias because there's some very intelligent people there who know exactly what this is. Yeah. Maybe, and to preface, maybe there are people who genuinely don't know. This is just CSP headers being updated.
0: Um, well, you said you said you had the, go you ahead. Can't
1: go around, go on, Ragnar.
0: Oh yeah, no, you had this tweet. I want to read. It was really funny. Um, you said um, the current state of Ordinals: grifters, gatekeepers. Um, or no, sorry, that's, that was my comments. So your, your tweet was, I'm going to start over again. I'm going to mark this one second. Okay. I want to ask you about this tweet that you said. It was really funny. You said space is entirely rotten right now. This shall pass heads down and keep building. Take notes of the grifters and those gatekeeping. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, so
0: can you fill in what you meant by that? Cause I really appreciated that honesty.
1: Yeah, I think, um, gatekeeping is, um, is something that really irks the team at Megapont. And um, a lot of people have said that we've been around since 2021, um, building an NFT project. And we've never had like an influencer shill or being on influencer spaces or like typical crypto spaces or being pushed by anyone. Um, And that's always puzzled a lot of people. And it's mostly because we just refuse to play those, those silly games. And what do I mean by silly games? Well, there's always quid pro quo in this space. Almost everyone we deal with who is willing to talk about you expects something in return. And we're not willing to do the the thing in return. So it's, but if you don't want to talk about us, then that's fair enough. That's up to you. That's entirely, it's entirely your platform. You control who who comes onto your platform. But in order to bend that, we're not going to give back something to you, whether that's allocation for a mint or even just like a payment. If you don't think we're cool enough to be spoken about, then we'd rather not be spoken about. Um, and Ordinals is, is currently in a state of that right now as well, which is really the easiest way to do well, if you're releasing an Ordinals project, is to get onto the right spaces, speak to the right people, and to just piggyback on top of their platform. It has nothing else to do with with your art or how innovative your, your collection is. We're, we're seeing some of the greatest art is just passed up on Ordinals. You see it just randomly inscribed, where people are just putting some beautiful stuff on chain, and you just think this would be really cool as a collection. but then you know that they've got no hope. So if you released a 1,000-piece collection on yeah. Ordinals right now and didn't put it in front of the right influencers who have all of the audience on on Twitter spaces and on Twitter and in the various Discords, then it's going to be a struggle. And I think that's really, really bad for yeah. the space. There are some good actors doing really good things Absolutely. to fix this, um, such as Gamma. Um, so shout out to to Gamma. So Gamma is the marketplace on um, on Ordinals and on Stacks. And... Some of the language that comes from from gamma around supporting individual artists and small creators is precisely the language that you want to see um so it'd be very easy gamma with their budget to go after the biggest artists they can find in the space put up a partnership mint and pocket their 10 to 20 percent on those mints that they know would be guaranteed to sell out but instead they use their platform to promote smaller individual artists who haven't necessarily got a big platform but they're producing really awesome art or really awesome content on ordinals. Um, And we need more more of that. And why do we need more of that? Well, one of the big reasons is um, there's an existential crisis within NFTs right now, which is there's just no new wallet adoption anywhere. And part of the reason is the grifters. So people just outright scamming people. Every time you hear of a crypto scam and you're native to crypto, you kind of brush it off and like, oh, it's just a battle wound. what you've got to realize is there's probably a hundred people who that's their first project. So that's their first project that they bought. It ended up being a scam. Well, it's their last project. So that is so harmful for the space and the gatekeeping. Um, if there's a hyped mint and it's gatekeeped and it's sent to the allocation of all of the other projects that have said, Oh, well, we've got allow list or we've got access to this mint and no one else does. Then there's no onboarding of new wallets to the space. It's just the same capital, the same people. Um, And pricing as well, like mints are too expensive. Um, They're prohibitively expensive. One of the things that we've always done at at Megapont is every time we ask someone for money, because that's what you're doing as a project. You're asking someone for money and you're asking for revenue. You can call it like a fundraise or like a, a community raise or whatever, but you're raising revenue from your community. Every time you do that, you should feel good about the amount you're asking from someone and truly believe that you're delivering value that equates to that, that sort of that exchange of goods. So if someone's giving us $50, then you best believe that we actually think we're delivering some value. Now there might be a disagreement in that between some members of the community and the project, but broadly speaking, um, it's something that we we hold as like a core value because we want to sleep well at night. So if we had a $2,000 mint, for example, um, or two ETH in the sake of a popular ETH project that's just had a mint, um, I'm not sure I would be able to sleep well knowing I'd just ask $3,600 of someone within my community to give them essentially a jpeg with promises that this Kickstarter may or may not deliver something of value down the line. Um, it would just put me in a really bad position I wouldn't feel great about myself or the project. Um and it also prices out so many people. So I I want to tell a little story about a holder in in, in Megapont. So Back when Megapont minted in October 2021, Stacks was a chain that didn't have much interest. It it kind of peaked from 0.4 cents a coin to $2 during our mint. Um, And it had a whole bunch of people who bought Stacks hoping it would be the next Solana or the next coin to 100X. And then they bought our NFT hoping it would be the next Bored Ape Yacht Club or CryptoPunk. And we weren't quite, but our mint was $80. And at its peak, it went up to like $5,000, the price of one of our NFTs. And there's been a few one-of-one sales that were really significant. So um, I got a message from um, one individual who sold his one-of-one, and I think he sold it for around $39,000. So this was in uh, sort of spring 2022. And he apologized for selling his one-of-one, but said it was able to buy his family a home in India. And I just thought that this guy has bought an $80 NFT. He's essentially won the lottery, and he's sold it and been able to buy a home in India. Um, and if we're real with ourselves, there's no way that that same individual would have bought our NFT back in October it was $4,000. Um, sh- now, should they be speculating if they're not in a, fin- in a financially secure position? Now, that's a, a different question to, to answer. Um, but people will, um, especially back then, it was the lottery effect of, you know, minting an NFT that went up 100X was, was massive. Um, and you're taking away the opportunity for new wallets to come in and have a whole bunch of fun. As well and is it worth it long run probably not so is it going to be worth it if we just keep recycling nfts and capital and liquidity between the fifty thousand wallets that are in the space no i don't think so um we need to onboard new people and to onboard new people we need affordable mints so they need to be within the disposable income range of what is atypical for someone wanting an entertainment experience so if you think your nft can compete with with the price of going to watch Avatar or something, hey, then price it at $30. If you think it's like a football ticket, then it's 100 to $200 of value. Um, but you should always try and underpin it to like some tangible delivery of value in the real world um, because then you'll feel really good about minting your NFT project out.
0: So then to summarize, Mark McKenzie's view of ordinals inscriptions right now is that things are too expensive there's too many gatekeepers there's too many um sort of insider however you want to call it influencer driven gatekeeping copycat poor art money recycling is how we'll put it uh, of the same people and so this is a very um critical view mark of inscriptions and i have to kind of mostly agree with it I love the tech and I love a lot of these projects that you, like you said, they're great art. Actually, they're really cool, but they just don't get the traction because they don't know the right people. They didn't pay or incentivize the right people or the right organizations. So what are the bright spots for you, Mark, that you're seeing in terms of, of or no, since the day they launched call it, December, we'll say it's December yeah. last year, but what are your bright spots? Or do you not see any?
1: Uh, no, I definitely do see bright spots. So, um, yeah. We we picked up on ordinals as many people in the stacks community did. We picked up on ordinals. It must have been under hundred inscriptions at the time, I think. Um, so like really early, and it was you know it was in our Discord, and everyone was talking about this. Um, and we we picked it up, and we had to, we made an early judgment call as a team <clears throat> to not inscribe <clears throat> our two thousand five hundred original NFTs on on stacks onto Bitcoin. I think in, in hindsight, from a financial perspective, it was probably a really silly thing to, to fade. But why didn't we do this? We thought, well, it's really cool, but there's all kinds of like ownership. Like who owns those? If we'd have inscribed them, who the hell owns those? Do we own them? Do the people who own the original NFTs own them? How do we give those to those people? Um, it just felt like a really um, opportunistic move that made no sense to us to to, to do that. Um, and why were we interested in doing that? Because These are truly immutable um, digital artifacts. And I do like that Casey describes them as digital artifacts. I watched one of his presentations, one of his early presentations, when he presented ordinal theory. I can't remember where it was presented, but there was eight people sitting around a table and he was discussing it in a really open way and talking about how these are digital artifacts and how it was really cool to be able to track Satoshis with the first in, first out way of saying that okay this is a rare sat and this is an uncommon sat and this is from you know block nine or wherever um and it was a really passionate talk like casey i just thought this this is a really thought out protocol um and a, a way of essentially you know tracking the movement of of individual satoshis and it is truly a way to put your artwork forever on bitcoin and i don't think it's easy to disregard just how interesting that is. So the earliest tweet, one of the earliest tweets I put out about this is, like, maybe if it wasn't so expensive and so restrictive in its file size, like this just replaces IPFS as, it may be, maybe maybe the, the cost of it is, it, you know, is part of the security, where if you wanna store something forever and point to it, this is the best way to do it, like ultimately. Right now, I can't think of a better way to do it at all that exists. Um, for the cost of three dollars, you could probably inscribe your will and testament, and you, you know your your family can't rug that. Your legal team can't rug that. It's there. It'll be signed by your private key, and it'll be up for everyone to see forever on on the blockchain. And um, you know, I I, I think I, I'm I'm mega bullish on Bitcoin, and have been for the last maybe four years. Um, mostly seen just the, the disintegration of access to banking and how restrictive the financial sector is to, to many folks. Um, and I, I do see a world where where Bitcoin is, you know, the de facto global currency um, that is used across the world for essentially payments. The, the the single best use case, proven use case we have for crypto right now is still payments. Um, if you want to transfer $100,000 across the world, crypto is by far the best, most cost effective way to do that. Um, I mean, good luck doing that in traditional finance, quite frankly, if you don't have a history of similar large payments, you'll just be told you are not doing this. And a lot of people can't wrap their head around that. If you put $100,000 in a bank account and try to send me it, and you've got no history of doing that, your bank will just stop you doing that. And it might take six months to go through the process of actually doing that. Um, So I'm I'm super bullish on Bitcoin long-term. And the, the digital artifact layer that we currently have is in its infancy, and I maybe this is biased of me, I think we're slowly moving into a world where what people are realizing is, hey, what we actually need is almost a decentralized indexer that can read Bitcoin state and has a rewards incentive for me to be participating in this network. And the reason that we need that is because at the moment, everyone uses centralized indexers. Um, and I think all roads probably just lead back to Stacks eventually or something like Stacks, right? Which is, hmm. hey, you know, I want to manage my ordinals and I want to distribute them and I want to have pseudo smart contracts. And I want to do that with some security mechanism in place where there's a reward structure and I know um, that I'm, I'm going to pay for use of this, but I'm willing to pay for use of this network. Um, so we're not quite there yet with, with ordinals where it's infancy. Um, as we start to see, and there's a whole bunch of people working on Some really fancy sort of zk roll-up based um, uh, architecture for decentralized indexes so as we start to see the index layer improve and i I guess some of the smart minds really come together and and think about how we can innovate there and have some decentralized indexes um, that are i I guess um, are not prone to abuse um, then i think we'll start to see some rapid acceleration of um, technological advancements in the space quite frankly because We've got the best data layer we could ever have asked for right now which is we can store things on bitcoin for hundreds of years for essentially minimal cost um running i i don't want to know how, how much it would cost you to store a file in s3 for 100 years but it's probably on par with what it costs with bitcoin right now <laughs>
0: Yeah, I I'm on the same page with you in terms of why you're optimistic about it, and that's data storage that's inexpensive relatively and immutable. I think that's absolutely amazing. I mean, Bitcoin is the time chain. Bitcoin is the settlement settlement layer. It's a settlement layer for for late for data and for time, of course. So that is being proved out with with ordinal inscriptions. I think there's lots of bright minds. I think hopefully we head towards more decentralization. I think there is enough hardcore enough hardcore bitcoin people in ordinals that are trying to keep it in that spirit of decentralization you know casey is Mm -hmm. he's controversial but you know i've known him for a while and he he's a bitcoiner through and through yeah absolutely he's he's against you know censorship and and i i some people don't like the things that he's criticized but i think he's made some pretty fair statements about that um but it's still centralized around him and yeah, I, I, I love his takes. Yeah, copyright. when I hear about copyright and NFTs, I, it's like, wait, did you use the word copyright and Bitcoin in Bitcoin so, in the same sentence? Because the,
1: the Control collection minted today, it was quite funny. Um, so for those who don't know, yeah, I was going to uh, ask
0: you about that. The Control, what do you think about it?
1: Yeah, I think it's really cool. It's too expensive. That's, I mean, it's too expensive, but it's really cool art. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think Jameson it, it is a like a, a Bitcoin through and through as well. It's clear to see that. Um, I do like the art, you know. There's some story there. I don't think the the price is set from a point of profiteering. I just don't think they're that group of people. But it, again, it would be really cool if it was a little bit cheaper and more affordable for people. Um, but it, it, it's right now, it's probably the stand up collection on, on on Ordinals in my mind. Um, it's unique. It's it's mm. an art style. So for those who don't know, it's like a take on like this, like you know, um, like note culture. I thought there's probably a name for that that art where they graffiti banknotes and and um, they put some unique art in there, but to, to go back to the story, somebody complained that I think the Queen's head was in a shopping trolley on one of the pieces or something, um, like the, the 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 Great British Queen. Like her, uh, her face was in a mm. shopping trolley, cut up from the banknote, and someone tweeted was like, um, "You can't do this to the Queen's face," and I just laughed. I was like, <laughs> "Well, maybe the royal family needs to get in touch with the Bitcoin CEO and ask them to not do that, right?" Like, yeah. It, it doesn't matter what you think you can and can't do. If someone throws it up there, then it's up there. You, you know, it's that's yeah. that's the that's whole point of this. It's permanent. It's immutable. It's up there. You know, you, you can censor it if someone does really nefarious things and we can decide that we actually don't want to see this. Um, it would be interesting to see what happens when that, that, that first happens, where we just have... And it will happen at one point. We will have to censor some inscriptions, I would imagine. Um, but that would already happen yeah, anyway. I know right many there. have been. Yeah, you can already,
0: yeah, like, before I mean, inscriptions, many have been
1: before inscriptions. You could throw up data in Bitcoin, right? Like Casey hasn't proposed mm-hmm. like a new data storage layer on Bitcoin here. That's not what he proposed. Um, so, forever, you've been able to shove some text or shove some data or bytes encoded into images or, or, or whatever. Um, so, it's not, a, it's not a new problem to solve um of how you you filter people doing really silly stupid things with a distributed data store but and this is again it's not unique to bitcoin you could do this on ethereum you could put really horrible things up on, on ethereum if you wanted to on chain um so uh yeah his takes on copyright really really tickle me because it's it's just you know it's just web 2 stupid system like we don't need this nonsense and he's absolutely right in many ways um and he, he, he he's a He's good yeah. for the space, I think. It's good to have a character like Casey at the head of Ordinals. Um, one of the things that's really stuck out to me about Casey, and I, I don't know Casey all over then the, the videos I've watched of him present his early Ord theory. Um, it's just how he's another one of those individuals who you can tell doesn't really care whatsoever for the profiteering of anything that he does, right? It's, how can I do something really cool that makes an impact on the world? And they're you know, that, that kind of individual and personality is quite unique in, in crypto these days, I think. Hmm. Um, and, yeah, you, you know, you disagree with some of the things he has to say, but, you know, you can't agree with everything that someone has to say. Interestingly, one of our early exchanges, Ragnar, I think, was when you basically said you really didn't like some of the art on one of our collections. And <laughs> s- someone said to me, was like, like, can he say this? And I was like, what, can he have an opinion that he doesn't like the art? Like, absolutely. Like, I mean, if he doesn't like the art, he doesn't like the art. What do you want us to do? Convince him that his eyeballs aren't working correctly. Um, like people people are going to disagree with with things you say and things you do in life in general. And that's true on it, when it comes to NFTs, when it comes to ordinals, inscriptions, Bitcoin, anything to do with crypto as well. Um, and the, the, the best conversations you can have with someone are often when you have differing opinions on something, and you try to come to some amicable consensus as to why you have different opinions, the goal shouldn't be to convert someone to your line of thinking. It should be to present your, your ideas, your facts, and your thinking, and maybe they change their mind then, but put your argument forward. It shouldn't be to indoctrinate or change someone's view. It's, this is why I think this. Now you make up your mind with some more information and see if you want to change that opinion.
0: Yeah, I re- I remember that and and here you and I are talking on this podcast and we've had one or two other just private calls and it just shows like I disagreed on something but you and I I think are aligned on so many things and it's fine art is subjective and I love what you guys do and and the ethics which with by which you guys do things so I admire the projects you know all the things you guys have done it's just it wasn't my flavor and that's okay yeah. and Casey says has said controversial things and I'm not best friends with Casey but you know I I talked to him over a year ago. I was pitching him Trajan over a year ago uh, to be my developer. Obviously, he didn't he didn't uh, take, take me up on my offer. But yeah, he messaged me in December and, and said, "Hey, he Ragnar, been, like Ordinals is kind of, uh, yeah. We would have we would have made a lot of people upset between Casey and myself. I think <laughs> we would have burned something to the ground. But so yeah, yeah, it's probably better. With him thing. and I didn't team up. But 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 Casey as a as a bright person and um, he cares a lot about Bitcoin. And, um, that's, that's the heart of Casey. And I think a lot of, I wish there were more people who, who kind of felt like Casey in the sense, like the great thing about ordinals, it's brought a lot of money into Bitcoin, but the bad thing about ordinals, it's brought a lot of money into Bitcoin, right? It's mm. like this double-edged sword where it's brought a lot of talent, a lot of energy, a lot of innovation, but then it's brought this whole other element that is, it's, it's kind of hard to, to stomach, um, and wade through that to get to the the good stuff, the good people, the good projects. And that's my daily life in Ordinals right now is just sifting through the garbage and, and finding the gems and the good art and the good artists and the good entrepreneurs. And there's a lot of them, fortunately there are. Yeah. There,
1: there's a lot of but boys you're that work sometimes. You're absolutely right there, which is if there is money to be made in crypto, then the opportunists will jump on top of anything like any craze. Um, they'll, put out whatever they can to grab the most amount of capital out of the ecosystem uh, as, as possible. And, and they, they just won't care for what, whatever they put out. It, it, NFTs have always been like this. Like, you know, in 2021 and 2022, a rug pull on Ethereum was every, almost every day. And these were brazen rug pulls. It's, let's call them what they are. It's theft, right? So you, know, you would mint an NFT and you would sometimes get nothing in return. Um, there would be no R in many instances. You'd know, you just get the placeholder that they use to build up excitement and hype. We're not at that level on ordinals. And I don't think, we probably just because we've moved on from that in the NFT space in general. Um, But the the bad actors in ordinals now are, um, they're they're, they're very different and they're a little bit more intelligent. And one of the primary reasons for that is it, it is quite hard still to get an ordinals mint up and running, I think. And I think that's really helped us to avoid a lot of the, like really bad actors, like the outright thefts and scams in the space. If you wanna get a collection up and running now, you either need to use a launch pad or you need to have some Bitcoin knowledge. And I I know this is a general sweeping statement, but if you reach out to many Bitcoiners and say, hey, I'm looking to scam people for a million dollars. Can you help me with a node to inscribe? They'll probably laugh in your face and, you know, oust that communication to the internet on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And, and that's essentially what will happen. And you know, um, the launch pads, gamma and and so they filter projects and they usually, you know, they'll they'll the human nature will always miss one and one will slip through one bad actor here and there. But for the most part, like the really low hanging fruit scams, um, it's just too it's just too yeah. hard to get an ordinals mint up and running right now and and, and scam. But the, the bigger problem is just low quality, like you said, Ragnar. I think it's like when are we gonna see some really cool art? Yeah. We're like, yeah, we're a pixel I, I art project. Podcast, but I'm done just... with pixel art. I'm
0: like that's. Oh, you're f- done with pixel art now.
1: Well, like we're What's just next done
0: it. Then, I'm, I'm done. I,
1: well, we're not done as a project with it, but personally, I'm done seeing it. I can't look at. Maybe because for the last two years, what I've done is look at pixel art. Uh, we tried to do no pixel art one time, and everyone disliked the art. So maybe we'll stick to pixel art. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm done seeing it on ordinals. I want to see. So that's one thing that re- Recursive Inscriptions opened up, which is you can now like inscribe traits for non pixel art NFTs and do some really cool builder stuff with that. And we haven't seen that yet. So the first collections that we saw with builder were all pixel art again. So it was all pixel art and it was like eight bit pixel art, low, low quality. And they were riding on the fact that they were recursive and you could build it. Um, we're now in a situation where you can inscribe really high quality non pixel art on ordinals in a way that is actually really innovative and fun. And the user experience, you can make it really fun. You could have like an interactive builder where you build your character. And then everyone gets something that they're happy to pay for in theory. So you build your own character, it's not pixel art. Um, That's now possible on Ordinals. Um, And we're yet to see that. Um, So when we start seeing those projects come over, that's when I'll turn to like mega bullish, because I think that's when you'll get a lot of the, the popular culture projects come over and bring you wallets for them, um, which is like, Hey, cool. Yeah. Look how genuinely awesome. This artwork is like, do you want this as a PFP? Cause there's still, there still isn't that collection that I look at on ordinals and think I want that as a PFP. I still haven't seen yeah. that, like that standout collection that you look at and think, wow, this is it. Um, still doesn't exist. Which yeah, I'm is glad to hear you builders. say that Mark. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm glad to hear you say that because I haven't found one that it's like, that's my PFP. I have in my mind, like with Trajan, we have a certain aesthetic that we're working on. Um, still haven't done it yet, but it's behind the scenes we're working on our aesthetic and, and our inscriptions. And I haven't seen one yet in ordinals that I want for my PFP. And I'm hoping something will come. And it's I'm glad to hear you say that because I thought I was the only one. And it's easy to think that everyone likes everything and no one's thinking, wow, some of this, most of this isn't very good like at all so I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that and i'm glad that you brought up uh gamma as well they were sponsors for ordinals 2023 jamil nick you know i know the team they're a great team ethical doing doing things the right way like our co-founder mary Zhao, she did her first collection on gamma and it's i'll have to send you the link but it's really cool it's janet yellen it's the buy bitcoin janet yellen meme um, yeah. she did a she did i think it's eight 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 or ten um, really cool. That'd be the only exception I, I think that I like. Um, but I do want, I do want to, um, as we wind down, I do want to go back to inscriptions and generative art. Cause I think there is some good things that can be done there. Can you touch on generative art? What are your feelings? First, like 60 seconds, what is it for, for, um, listeners? And then do you see it having innovative potential for inscriptions yeah, combined so with two... recursive inscriptions?
1: Yeah, there are two different types of generative art that loosely get coupled right now. And I think art by code is, is one type, which is you use really popular JavaScript libraries to generate art. You'll have like a seed and an algorithm essentially. So these are things like squiggles and Fidenzas that you see on Ethereum, like those really well-known uh, art collections. And they're an algorithm uh, that produce artwork. So you're seeing a lot of this on ordinals, which I think is fantastic. Um, and that's really exciting. But again, there's no standout collection. There's no, there's no the squiggles or the Fidenza on ordinals right now. When we see that collection that'll probably be the collection that does th- the best long long term i think of any collection ever so the first like really beautiful generative by code and algorithm artwork on ordinals using um one of the libraries inscribed by the ocm folks um i think that will be the most valuable collection that will probably ever exist on ordinals um and again that's up for grabs for someone and then you have the pfp generative stuff which essentially is the process of layering JPEGs on top of one another with a predefined rule set. So, you know, you have your background and then you might have your body and then your head and then a hat and glasses and, and so on and so forth. And what recursive inscriptions uh, enabled is, like I said earlier on, is to say, okay, if, I, if, this is, if this isn't a HTML, if this is a HTML file and I have a background trait and I have a head trait and a, and a glasses trait, then I can layer them on top of each other in this HTML file, and not have to adhere to one, the the sort of the, the, the size restriction on Bitcoin blockchain. You know, it doesn't have to be less than four megabytes. And also it can be affordable. So I still think like a 100 KB inscription is costing you around a thousand dollars to inscribe. So times that by 10K, it's a prohibitively expensive mint. Whereas to inscribe a one KB JavaScript file, it's $2 thereabouts. Um, so what this means is the creator of the project inscribes the traits. And when you mint an NFT, instead of minting a PNG or a JPEG, you're actually minting a HTML file that in real time will build the generative, um, would build the generative piece, which is actually really cool as well. Right. So, you know, it it might do something cool. The traits that could change on, on a given, you could do something as simple as changing every block. So the HTML could just change it every block and it could decide that it wants to, you know, render a different color helmet or something along those lines. Um, so that's what recursive opens up for that. And it also opens up the, the generative code because what you can do is you can reference the JavaScript libraries within an inscription to to, to see them with an algorithm.
0: Perfect. Yeah, I see there's a lot of potential there. And um, so let's finish off with Megapunks. And your, we didn't talk about your project really at yeah. all. We didn't get into the details of like why you guys used Emblem Vault, why you guys did it. That way, but I do want to get that in, so tell everyone about you know what you guys did and, and why and the state of where it is right now.
1: yeah, so we launched our uh, ordinal collection, but it's been a blur this year it was spring of this year um and we we've been sitting on some art for a long time, so the original plan with the megapunk's art was we were going to have like this open edition mint on ethereum, do something really cool where you would essentially mint this pass and you would create your little punk um. And then we decided as a team we were like, let's put these on Bitcoin that like, we don't have a collection on on Ordinals. We're going to use these anyway for a mint. We're a Bitcoin native project. That's where we started. It makes more sense for these to be an ordinal. Um, we can't do any of the interactive stuff right now because it would just be too difficult for us. Um, so let's put out a collection. We took our time to polish up the art and get the art right. So we were a little bit later than we could have been. Um, you know, we didn't rush it out. Like I said, we were we're in Ordinals sub one hundred, and. You can see the, the the tweets where me and Jamil I think go back and forth, and I say, you know, Maxie's are complaining now when there's 100 JPEGs. Wait until we start putting 2,500 monkeys on there, um, and then it, that's quite quite funny. That you know they did get really mad, actually, didn't they? Um, so yeah, we we launched our collection in the spring, and we use Emblem Vault because one of the things that we've always stood for is fairness, and we wanted to ensure that our mint and again, this goes on to the grifters and ordinals, we wanted to ensure that there was a smart contract controlling the distribution of our mint so that people could verify um, that what we say we were doing is actually what we're doing. And that's really important for us. Um, there are all too many projects in this space who, you know, they'll they'll sneak 10% of the allocation to the team and the team's wallets here and there, and they'll be doing sort of subtly nefarious things that you know, have a financial upside for them and, and no one else at the detriment of their holders. Um, so we wanted to use an Ethereum smart contract because it's, you know, it's law by code and we can what we say and, and what happens are there for everyone to audit and review and to make sure we're not lying. Um, so we had an Ethereum smart contract for the payment because I think that's important as well. Um, the, 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 the payment process for, for ordinals at the time was either you need to accept Bitcoin or, or lightning, but you still kind of need some centralized process. And we decided that the NFT community that we had just weren't ready to start setting up a Sparrow wallet and making Bitcoin payments and receiving an ordinal right then, because like I said, there was no Hero, there was no Xverse that existed, um, so they wouldn't have been able to to use a, a like a, a real Web three wallet. So we had our mint on Ethereum, and you minted this token, which was what we called a pop, so a proof of purchase, essentially is a glorified receipt. So you minted a receipt that says, Mm -hmm. okay, I now own this ordinal. Um, and this is my right to prove that this ordinal is mine. And then we, we, uh, while we were minting, we inscribed all of the art. So, and that's important to us because we, we were very confident in the art and we wanted people to be able to see it. And we're like, you can never complain during the reveal process. If you don't like the art because it's inscribed so you can see it all. And we, you know, we put out this really nice image, which was all 10,000 punks on one grid. So before you paid a single dime or handed over anything, you could see if you liked the collection. Like, is this something that you want to buy? And a lot of people said yes, because it was really early, really for fraught. I think we're sub 300k thereabouts. Um, so a lot, whole bunch of people wanted to buy it. Um, and then what happened is around two weeks into the process of after the mint going live, we froze the Ethereum contracts reversibly forever. So that can never be unfrozen. So you can never transfer the Ethereum receipt that we gave you. It's there stuck in your wallet forever. And what we then decided to do is work with Emblem Vault because one of the important things for us is we don't want to be providing a service forever to turn that receipt into an ordinal. And we want to give people their ordinal right now. And we want to do it in a way that means that we no longer have an involvement. So working closely with Emblem Vault, we came up with this really innovative solution, which meant that we actually gave everyone an Emblem Vault. Um, Everyone who owned the Ethereum NFT, we gave them an Emblem Vault. For those who don't know, Emblem Emblem Vault is essentially like a wrapper for wrapping keys for various chain wallets on various chains. So you can have an Emblem Vault that contains the keys to a Bitcoin wallet, a Stacks wallet, a Solana wallet, all in one nice interface. um, And you have custody of them and you can crack it open and get the keys and then you can never transfer it. and we created everyone a vault and sent the inscription to the vault. And this really confused a lot of people actually, maybe more so than we thought it might do. Uh, Cause they were like, do I have an ordinal? Do I have an Ethereum NFT? Like, what do I have now? And you, an, you had an ordinal on, on day one. So people still don't understand this. They say to us, like, how do I go from Ethereum to ordinals? And it's like, no, you've, you've got an ordinal. It's in that emblem vault. It, you, like you can see the, the 25 cents of Bitcoin that we sent you. Like it's there in, in that wallet. And that meant that everyone, no matter how familiar they were with Bitcoin, could receive an ordinal and receive that, in many instances, their first Bitcoin. And, you know, we still have people come into the Discord who bought the ETH NFT and they don't have a Bitcoin wallet. They've never used Bitcoin. Um, And we can say to them, no, you you do. You have Bitcoin. Like, it's there. It's in your wallet. All you need to do is take the keys from your emblem vault and import them into Sparrow or Xverse or Hero. And you've you've got the ordinal and you've always had custody of the ordinal. It's not ours, we can't control it. And that was super important to us, which was we, we want to get the ordinals into the hands of the end user and not have this like weird burn or migration. It was just, that's, how can we get them to everyone? So we worked really closely with the Emblem Vault team and they were awesome because it wasn't an easy process. You know, there were 10,000 NFTs. We had to create 10,000 Emblem Vaults and send them to the vaults that were set up and make sure everyone got the right one um so it was a really stressful process we had this master sheet we called it the master sheet that i think had 15 people collaborating on to make sure that we didn't do we didn't have one mistake because if like the indexing was off once then you've then sent everyone under that the wrong ordinal
0: was this so an excel excel spreadsheet it was it was a google using? sheet it was a, it was a google sheet it was a google sheet oh, it was a wow, google high sheet tech that, over there
1: yeah the master sheet it was a google sheet that we all collaborated on to make sure and we must have went over it like five times and I, I I had no sleep and I was awake till like 4 a.m. most mornings trying to like assert on it. We have Python scripts for unit testing, the most obscene sort of um, bitcoin Ethereum-based transaction things that you can think of. It's We have unit tests that would do diffs on images and pull metadata and stuff like this because we just, we knew if we made, and this is, ties into the ordinal immutability. Because if we made one mistake, that's it. You can't undo it. There's no one do, there's no updating metadata. We'd have just ruined it for everyone and there'd be nothing we could do because it with Bitcoin and Ordinals, it's forever. Um, so we had to get it right. But it was a it was a really good process and it onboarded quite a few people to to ordinals and to Bitcoin. And to this day, you know, there are a whole bunch of people who still have their emblem vaults and haven't opened them up and still haven't made this move over to Bitcoin yet. But every like I said, every day what? someone will pop in and be like, Hey, I'm new to this, how do I get my ordinal?
0: That's great. Yeah, it's June, and and you you onboarded all these people to Bitcoin through Ethereum. That's gonna blow a yeah. lot of people's minds. I mean, who would have thought Ethereum would bring people into Bitcoin? But here we are. And I remember when Ethereum launched in Miami, right when when Vitalik stood up and gave his presentation. And I remember I was like in the third row, and he was wearing a black T shirt, and they they launched Ethereum, and I'm just like, this Ethereum world computer is dumb. But here we are. Thank you, Ethereum. Right. That was, so that was that great, was my, great I to hear. So line, yeah. World computer,
1: it's never going to work. Stick to Bitcoin, and um, never gonna we, work. we all we all collectively faded. Probably the one most profitable ICOs of all time because we thought Bitcoin would solve
0: that problem. Yeah. No, no, but but hey, now if everything is coming back to Bitcoin, and I, I'm with you, Mark, in terms of like stacks. I think a lot of things are going to go on stacks. We're on stacks, obviously, with Trajan doing yeah. ordinal stuff. But but you know, stacks is is home for lots of reasons. Um, so where can people find you and then Megapunks, um, what, what what's the best place, Twitter and, and what's kind of the main websites yeah, for twit-
1: you? Twitter is definitely the best place, you know, megapont.com website will have links to various sort of, um, NFT project related, um, uh, links, discord, Twitter and the likes. Uh, I'm on Twitter. So Mark McKenzie without the vowels on, on Twitter and almost everywhere else. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm pretty active on Twitter, mostly trying to just wind people up a little bit at the moment. And I've started I've started collecting digital art. So I've made a rule uh, that I have to buy a piece every day now for the next year, at least. So I'm buying a piece of digital art every day for the next year and put every time, every purchase I make every day, I post out. And I'm doing it with the intention that they're all gonna go to zero, but I don't care because I'm gonna put them on the really cool display in the house. And I'm gonna look at them every day and just appreciate the piece. Um, so it's mostly like, um, it's mostly nostalgia related, the nineties sort of neon culture stuff at the moment. That's what I'm feeling right now. Um, like a lot of like tie in with gaming. Um, and I, there's a few pieces that I look at, I'm just like, I just please come to Ordinals. Like this piece on Ordinals would just be worth so much more because um, that's what one of the shortcuts to my heart is the gaming nostalgia. Um, and if there was like a gaming nostalgia NFT collection that was genuinely nice art, I would be queuing up to buy it as with many other people. Um, so that's what I've started doing, buying a a unique piece of art. So if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see me tweeting that out. Um, and, and, and talking about art and also winding people up about ordinals being gatekeeped, um, by the wrong people.
0: I like that. I like winding it up, Mark. You know, I have a lot in common who, who, who knew, but we do, we, I I think we, we could talk for, for hours. We'll, we'll have you back on the show and we can cover a lot more ground, but I wanted to get this in at least a solid hour in with you. Before I let you you go, my final question is, do you own an inscription that you would never sell? If so, can you share what it is and why?
1: Yeah, so I own a a really, really early inscription that is a block, a single block of color. Uh, No one has found it. It's so, it's really early. And it was me testing it once I got the node up and running and getting, because the early days getting odd to work was just a nightmare. So it was from the early days, it's got a really low block. And I'll never sell it because it was the first thing that I ever inscribed. It's, I, I would say it's worthless, but it turns out that those early inscriptions are anything but worthless now, which is just crazy to me because it, it it was it was my hello world, right? And when you look at the early inscriptions, they were all that they were just people saying, "Oh, I've got this up and running. I'm going, I'm going to inscribe the first file I can find on my computer," and that was me back then. Um, so it's that one. I would I would never
0: sell it in a million years. Was it, it the color orange?
1: To... Uh, yes, it is the color orange.
0: Um, I might have seen it.
1: There's, yeah, there's, I think there's a few of them. A few of us done the color orange, and okay. it, it's interesting because that's took off now as well, and that's crazy to see. Like the color orange now just signifies the ordinal movement, which is wild. I mean, yeah. we made a mistake because our backgrounds and megapunks are yellow. If we'd have known orange would have took off, we'd have just made them orange like everyone else did. Yeah. So we missed we missed the marketing well, trick there.
0: Missed it by one shade. Well, Mark, I'm so glad you came on the Ordinals podcast. We'll definitely have you back. We could talk for another hour. I think we hit a lot of good, good spots. So everyone who's listening, definitely follow Mark. Follow Megapunks. Look into what they're doing. He's definitely someone who's innovative in the space. He's someone who has some ethics, but also has a lot, of, a lot of talent, a lot of people that he works with. So he's definitely someone to talk to offline and online. So once again, Mark, I want to thank you for being on the Ordinals podcast.
1: My pleasure. Absolutely. I'd love to come back as well, Ragnar.
0: Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please rate and review our show. Subscribe to the Ordinals Podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or your favorite app, and follow us on Twitter at the Pod. Drop us a line at podcasts at org.media for topics you'd like us to cover or guests you'd like us to interview. Ordinals 2024 conference is taking place in Nashville. Early bird passes are available now. Visit org.media and sign up for our newsletter. Thanks for listening to The Ordinals Podcast, produced by Ord Media.